Welcome to the Jay Martin Show and the pursuit of personal sovereignty. Now, nobody can tell us what's going to happen over the next decade. So the smartest thing we can do with our minds and our money is build bomb-proof portfolios. And that's what we do here on the channel. Now, if you like to geek out on macro finance like I do, you might have noticed there always seems to be a gold bull market right around the corner, right? And so I pay attention to those macro trends, but I pay way more attention to the few individuals in the gold business who rarely speak publicly. But when they do, it's because they're putting a massive amount of chips on the table to support their conviction. They have skin in the game and an amazing track record of being right. Now, my guest today is arguably one of the most successful entrepreneurs ever in the mining business, specifically the gold industry. His name is Frank Justra. Now, Frank is the co-founder of Wheaton River, which became Gold Corp, subsequently acquired by Newmont to become the world's largest gold production company. He's the co-founder of Endeavor Mining, of Equinox Gold, two companies that have multi-billion dollar market caps. And Frank is very busy in the gold sector once again. And so he has my full attention. So today we talked about the biggest, biggest macro trends that Frank is paying attention to and why he thinks we may be getting close to a point where the world begins to revalue gold and what this could mean for gold investors like myself, most importantly. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation with Frank Justra. As always, there's a pinned comment beneath this video where you can subscribe to my weekly newsletter. I absolutely love writing it and would love to have you join the team. Enjoy this interview. All right, here I am with Frank Gistra once again. Frank, it's good to see you again. Thanks for making the time. Thanks, Jay. Great to be here. Well, okay, there's a handful of directions I want to go here. And, um, you know, let's just start right now, Frank. It, it's it's tough out there. Everything's in free fall. And the amount of inbound inquiries I get from subscribers asking, where is a safe haven right now, is probably at an all-time high. So when this is occurring, what are you doing are you making moves? Are you looking at decisions? What, what's happening with Frank? Well, I, I think I made my moves a while ago in anticipation that this was going to happen. I've been writing a lot about this and over the last year. Um, I write a column in the Toronto Star and um, every every month. So I've been addressing this bubble environment that we've been in the last couple of years and I've uh, been very critical of it. Uh, so I, I was prepared, I think. You're never 100% prepared because it, it's always a shock when things start, when asset prices start to crumble. You're always, oh my God. Uh, but I, I think in preparation, it was really about cash and gold and, um, and really out of, almost out of everything else, with the exception of a few things, like I'm still in some stocks, Canadian Preferreds, some of the international materials companies, the big, big international metals producers that pay great dividends, um, but mostly just gold and gold shares, obviously. But mostly <clears throat> my defensive position was to have some cash because you never know. You know, when markets really crumble, as I, as they are at the moment, and I suspect they've got, they've got a long way to go, you want to have cash and gold to preserve your wealth. Because although gold hasn't performed to a lot of expectations, including mine, at least it's holding its value while everything is going down, which is indicative of its store of wealth store of value uh, feature. And that's, then you know, so as everything else is crumbling, at least gold is holding its price or it's up marginally. And so that's, that was my defensive position. 
which is really, I mean, that's the, that's why I hold gold in my portfolio. It's funny. Like I, I, I'm subject to the same debates as every other media platform when it comes to the gold versus Bitcoin argument for the last two years. Right. And I, I eventually just started throwing my hands up. because so I was, I was like, it's just a silly comparison to make. The point of gold is to be somewhat boring, right? It's a safe haven asset should be boring, like by definition safe, right? And it does what it's supposed to do. And if Bitcoin becomes what the Bitcoin maximalists believe it will, it will become boring, right? The volatility will dissipate and it will become flat and boring and safe, right? Like, what do you think about that rebuttal to the Bitcoin versus gold? Well, I, don't, I, I wouldn't hold your breath. Um, I, I don't see Bitcoin. I, listen, this has been my personal opinion. As you know, I debated Michael Saylor on this a couple of years ago. Sorry, last year, exactly a year ago, last April. And um, I see Bitcoin, unless someone can prove differently, Bitcoin is a risk on speculative asset that went up in tandem and is going down in tandem with the Nasdaq market. Right. Period. Right. Okay. It's a. It's a. To me, it's a shiny toy that speculators love to play with. Um, it is not a store of value. It's not a safe haven asset. It's failed on those two fronts. It's failing on almost everything. So I just think that um, um, I don't see it getting that universal adoption that is necessary, the sort of universal adoption that gold has and has had for thousands of years, um, I don't see, I just don't see it. I think there's a tremendous amount of risk in uh, that people believe that that will happen eventually. And there's so many things lined up against it that I just, I, I just don't see it. Right. Right. Well, I, I, I tend to subscribe. So obviously I don't know. Right. I tend to subscribe to, um, like Nassim Taleb thought thought process there. And, you know, 13, 14 years. Yeah, I think that qualifies as an exciting speculation. And to me, like I have a horse in the race, absolutely, 100%. But it's a speculation just given the immaturity of the asset class. It hasn't been tested in so many environments. And so how could we know with any certainty what this could become, right? If, if well, it's been, I, I would beg to differ. It's being tested right now and it's failing. As a safe haven asset, it's 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 what's it down almost fifty percent on the year? Yeah, from yeah. a year ago, it's down fifty percent. Is that a safe haven asset? <laughs> is that a store of value? Is no. it fighting? Is it is it is it is it uh, a hedge against inflation? That inflation just kicked in recently. Yeah, on, on none of those counts is it succeeding. So um, again, if down the road someday, if it survives without being just, you know, destroyed by central banks and governments. Um, yeah. And it gets more adoption globally, but I don't see that. I mean, you've got a lot of countries that are dead against it, China, for instance, and others. And I just, I just don't see it getting that universal adoption, uh, at least for a very, very long time. So let's talk about gold for a minute, because Frank, if you follow macro, right? There is always a gold bull market around the corner. Like it just always is, right? You know? And so I host a lot of conversations on this theme, but what I watch more closely is sentiment. And here's an indicator that I think the audience should pay attention to. Frank hasn't been on my, my show since November of 2020. I think you're somebody who's very specific when you come out and speak publicly. And if you invested in the gold sector in November of 2020, you did very well, right? You've declined all my invitations since then, Frank. And here you are today, though, right? You're back on screen. And so what are you seeing in the gold market right now? 
It's like, I guess the question is with all the macro trends so favorable over the last 18 months, why, why hasn't the gold price or gold equities performed? Well, I, I think, uh, you know, I've, I've said it recently in a couple of tweets that I think that the gold price is manipulated, managed, um, not certain by whom, but I can have a couple of guesses. And they, there are good reasons why it need, the gold price needs to be suppressed, especially in this environment where you've got inflation, where you've got geopolitical um, turmoil with the Ukraine war, um, where there's just so much debt in the system. Um, and I think that the, 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 that given that all these things are taking place, um, there is a, an effort to keep the price suppressed. And, you know, I can get into that if you like in terms of why I believe that. I, I don't have any solid proof. All I have is circumstantial evidence. And having watched markets my entire life since the late 70s, I, I, I see what's happening with the gold price. And, um, but I also see something else. And then and the, the, the interesting part, the reason why I would like to say, you know, a few things about gold is because I believe that there has been a uh, uh, gold has been moving east to Russia, to China, all physical golds moving east. While, you know, in North America, we've been binging on digital assets for the last few years, physical golds moving east. And now you've got, you know, Russia making noises about a gold backed ruble. And I wouldn't be surprised if that happens. And that would set the stage for what I refer to as a global monetary system reset, mm. which has to happen given everything that's going on, how the US dollar has been weaponized using sanctions. A lot of the global South, probably 80% of the world is thinking about what does that mean? And as, as I'm sure you've seen since 2010, Central banks around the world have been on a gold buying binge, and, uh, and there's a reason for that. And they've been uh, de-dollarizing their foreign exchange reserves, and 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 stocking up on gold. And I think, you know, whether it's Russia, whether it's China, whether it's Russia and China together, I think you might see a monetary system reset with gold playing a role. I can see that happening. I mean, China, which stopped reporting its gold reserves back in 2019, mm -hmm. I am absolutely certain they have a lot more gold than they've disclosed. Right. And I wouldn't be surprised if they had close to what America has uh, in terms of gold reserves. And, and, and the reason I say this is because they're the largest gold producer in the world since 2007. Um, they're the largest gold importer in the world. No mined gold in China is allowed to be exported. So between 2000 and last year, they produced 7,000 tons of mined gold in China. They've imported a lot. And I'm sure, of course, some of that is going to individuals, private citizens. But I suspect, you know, China has a habit of reporting for a few years. Then they stop reporting. Then they report again a few years later. And every time they report again, gold, their gold reserves go up exponentially. So I suspect that that 2,000 tons is a lot higher Mm. And if you're China today looking at these sanctions that were imposed on Russia by the West, uh, you have to be re recalibrating your thinking about what happens if, you know, and if could be many things, Taiwan, whatever. Um, and I think with Russia making these noises about a gold-backed ruble, that there's an opportunity, I think, to create some sort of a gold-backed system.
And that's what I think is coming. And it's probably coming a lot sooner than I thought prior to the Ukraine war. That's really interesting. Okay, now, you know, a couple of things you mentioned there since 2010, central banks have been on gold buying binge. I have to assume that trend is accelerating based on what you just said about, you know, the West sanctioning Russia, you know, US and and Europe essentially freezing $600 billion of reserves. I mean, that's such an, well, it is an unprecedented move, right? One that has not occurred in the past. And sure, it, it sends a message to China, but I think it sends... Am I wrong? It sends a message to everybody, every central bank around the world. Well, well, that's yeah, exactly. And I would think if you're like India or Brazil or Mexico or South Africa, Turkey, any of these countries, you're going to be rethinking about the level of uh, dollar reserves. And you're going to be thinking about gold. Gold's the only place to run. You can't run to other currencies. Everybody's destroying their currencies. You know, the yeah. U.S., uh, Japan, Europe, uh, there's nothing to choose from. So you need a you need something to function in the system. That seems to be gold. And so if you're like me, I've had my gold since 2001, and I won't sell it. And I'll probably never sell the amount of gold I have because it's a hedge against everything else. And you know, gold may not be spiking up as one would hope or expect during these moments of geopolitical turmoil and high inflation and all this money printing, what have you, but it's holding its value. And eventually, I think there's even a chance that you may wake up one day and it'll be revalued in front of your eyes by some sort of consensus between the global community or just a portion of the global community. And and then you're going to find that, you know, gold will do a quantum leap from this level to another level. Um, that's very, very possible. And so you need to hold gold. And again, unlike what the Bitcoin guys are doing, which is buying Bitcoin to get rich, you own gold to preserve your wealth, period. OK, then you can do whatever else, you know, you know, I'm in a we're in a hard asset environment, obviously. So I believe in hard assets of all types, commodities and real estate and all sorts of things. And so I'm skewed that way in, in what I in, in, in my ownership. But but gold is that that the physical gold is what's going to protect a portion of your wealth, given if everything else goes wrong. OK, yeah. and so that's the way I look at gold as opposed to God, I'm buying gold today at 1850. And I, you know, I hope by next, you know, next year it'll be, you know, 2500. I'm going to get rich. That's not the purpose of gold. And that's okay. where people get confused when they compare Bitcoin to gold. You want to get rich? You want to take some risk? Sure. Buy Bitcoin. And, you know, you may lose a lot of your money or you may make some. But that's 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 a different game completely. It's a different game. Yeah. And, and knowing your time horizon is so valuable there. You know, I, I buy physical gold. My time horizon is that it's my inheritance to my kids. That's how I think about it. Right. It'll it'll stay there again. I hope to never need to sell it. I hope to gift it, you know, when I when I move on right to my children and, and having that time horizon, I think, is just the way I think about the asset. Exactly. It's not a trade. But if you want to trade the gold price, there are proxies to do that. And that's in the equities market. I want to talk about that, specifically um, Eris Gold, a company that I've been dollar cost averaging into uh, really for about a year and a half now, since uh, since November 2020. So we'll talk about that. But first, and this might be a rabbit hole, so we don't have to go too deep into it. You mentioned the manipulation and the management of the gold price. You said you had some suspicions, maybe no concrete factual evidence, but you've been in the markets long enough to see things and understand. Now, 
You also mentioned, you know, China's not disclosing how much gold they have. This is a likely possibility. Is that related to why the West may want to suppress the gold price? Yeah, well, if, yes. And there, there are two possible. If it's the West doing it, let's say it's, let's for a moment suggest that it might be the United States that's doing it. So why would the U.S. do it? The U.S. would do it for two reasons. One, to preserve the supremacy of the U.S. dollar because a spike in the gold price would alert the global investment community that there's trouble brewing, keep interest rates low, uh, to anchor inflation expectations. That's why you want a strong currency. Okay. And that's so if, you know, given that the US has, you know, printed so much money and is in so much debt, um, you could surmise that they would like to keep the gold price down so as not to spook or panic. Um, anybody around the world. That would be one reason. The other reason could be that, you know, they they see what Russia is saying about a gold back ruble and they're trying to torpedo that from happening because um, if you use the the numbers that uh, that uh, that were announced last month after the invasion of, you know, the Russian central bank paying, you know, uh, 5,000 rubles per gram at the time of the, ex- the currency exchange rate, that meant suggested a nine, it was the gold was 1950 at that point and um that would mean that with the current ruble us dollar ratio it would suggest that it should be closer to $2500 an ounce you know and again you're speculating you're you're making some assumptions but it it, it might be the us trying to torpedo that opportunity in the mind in in the eyes of of, of the investment community or it could be China. I mean, China, as I said, I suspect is accumulating a lot of gold and will disclose it at some point in the future when they have a reason to disclose it. So they, they'd be very happy to keep a, a, a cap on the gold prices. They're buying. Why, why, why pay 2,500 when you pay, you can pay 1,900. Um, right. But, but if it is the U S they're doing a tremendous disservice to investors because eventually, and they're doing a great, if it is the U S they're doing a great service to China. <laughs> and right. so I, right. I don't know which one it is. I have no evidence, but I, you know, I started my life as a trader. I watch markets very closely, especially the gold market. And you can tell there are days when the gold price goes down and it's justified because something happened to cause the gold down. But there are moments, and you can tell when it happens, when gold starts to spike and it starts to run away, There's you can tell the way that these future contracts are sold, that it's deliberate and it's vicious and it's used to trigger stop losses, to scare away investors and to make gold not appealing to investors. And, you know, and it's working. <laughs> It's working because, you know, you look at the Bitcoin crowd. They think gold is dead. And, you know, well, they're arguing it hasn't gone up. So, you know, so you get all of this sentiment that's created. And I think that that's so I'm not sure who's doing what to whom, but it's mm-hmm. something's going on. And I suspect we will find out in hindsight down the road what they've been up to. Um, in today's market, but um, I, I, you know, just seeing how much central banks are buying, I suspect that we're heading towards a bifurcation of the global monetary system, and it might be two different systems: a U.S. dollar system, which people can trade in and trade their goods, or some other system, which is maybe bilateral trades done on a gold settlement. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, with a gold backed currency, uh, and we'll we'll have to see. Okay. Okay. I want to switch gears now. Thanks for that, because I, you know, it's one of those conversations that I find is always around, and I never really dive super deep into right the manipulation and potential management of the gold price. Um, so it's interesting hearing it from you as opposed to, um, I don't know, like somebody out of GATA, right. Who just kind of devoted their life to that. Right. Yeah. 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 yeah well, you know what, listen, I, I, I've been following them for many, many years and, you know, they've tried to engage with me over time and I never really paid much attention to it. Um, I always suspected there was some management taking place because gold has been managed since the 1960s, since the 1970s, especially by the U.S. since the 1970s, and there's evidence to that mm -hmm. uh, that they they do try and suppress the gold price. Uh, uh, first, it was overtly, and later on, it was covertly done through bullion banks and all sorts of mechanisms, derivatives, and and and, and such. But um, but I am certain now, at least in the last couple of years, that it's really obvious that some some entity is is keeping a cap on the gold price yeah okay 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 i do want to switch gears now and talk about gold equities and i want to zero right in on on eris gold it's um you know you've been very specific with your timing in the gold market over the last couple of decades and i would say nailed it is uh best way to say it so I've talked about Eris a handful of times on my show, uh, in my newsletter. I just kind of talk my book. And if I'm building a position, I share that. I never tell people what to buy. I'm happy to tell them why I did. So talk to me, talk to my audience, Frank, about Eris Gold. What are, what are you up to? Well, I, first, I need to give you a little bit of history. And, and, and you're right. On two occasions, I was bang on in terms of timing. On the third one, I was about three years early. Uh, and this is my fourth one. So I started with Wheaton River in 2001, which became Gold Corp. And that was, we took something from concept to a $50 billion market cap over four years um, through uh, a buy and build strategy. Uh, Ian Telfer ran that company, very good friend of mine. Uh, he's actually the chairman of Eris. Um, you know, we, we've reunited on this one. Um, but the idea was, uh, the business plan was to create a global gold mining company through a buy and build um, uh, process. And it involved a lot of M&A. Um, and it, uh, it, it, it worked very well for us, you know, in the Gold Corp years. Um, and then... <clears throat> 2009, right after the financial crisis, I had my, my, the second, first time I came out in 2001, I was like, gold's going up, and it did. They went up substantially. It was a 250 an ounce, and it went up to, um, I can't remember what, up to a thousand or something. Then in 2000, after the crash in 2008, uh, I predicted that they would be printing a lot of money, and sure enough, they did. And gold had a run to $1,900 an ounce. And mm -hmm. I created uh, Endeavor Mining, which was mm -hmm. um, a mining company with uh, gold mines in West Africa, five countries in West Africa. And again, from concept, we exited in 2016, I think, uh, when uh, the Egyptian billionaire Najib Sawari uh, took control. And it's about a $3 billion um, sorry, it's uh, it's about a uh, $9 billion company now with mm -hmm. mines throughout Africa. Uh, and then in 2016, after we exited uh, Endeavor, we created Leia Gold. Uh, and that eventually merged with Ross Beatty's Equinox. 
and I'm still an Equinox shareholder. Um, and again, that's about a $3 billion market cap. And once uh, that completed, we started Eris Gold. And, and again, Neil Woodyear, who is one of the best operators in the industry, is the CEO. Um, I'm not on the board because of my role with Crisis Group. I, so I'm just an advisor and a very large shareholder, put a lot of money into this. And we're doing it again. And the idea is always, always the objective is to get to about a million ounces a year of production as quickly as possible. And we do that through a lot of m a So we look at things that aren't obvious to the public. Um, and uh, we, we're very good at acquiring uh, either companies or mining projects or mines. We know how to fix balance sheets. We know how to fix operations if they've gone sideways. And it, you know, it, it works, it, it, you know, because once you get to about a million ounces a year, then you're really institutional quality, you get re-rating, you're in the indexes, and that's always the objective. And um, and and again, it's always it's always interesting because, you know, we at the outset of all these things, you always get the same reaction. People don't believe that you can do it. Sure. Uh, and how are you going to do when no one else can? And this is a, a perfect example where you have to back the jockey. We're backing the jockey is paramount importance because it is an M, uh, mostly an M&A strategy. And so we started with Eris last year, I guess. And uh, we have two projects in there, really robust gold mining projects, both in Colombia. And we pro we have about 10 million ounces to our account. Uh, and these mines are going to be built over the next few years. And it's it's a great buy. It's a great call on gold um, because the grades are great. These are large, long life mine, mining uh, projects and uh, the company makers. And so <clears throat> that's those two projects are a great start. We, we have a market cap of $230 million. So relatively speaking, it's quite small still. Um, and I think it's still, we're still going to be growing it through a, a, some additional acquisitions and ideas that we have. So the idea is to, we have two development projects and, you know, maybe the next thing will be a mine. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, it depends, you know, what opportunities come up and what, what makes sense to us. Yeah, I appreciate that. Now, you know, you mentioned betting the jockey. It's what I harp on this channel all day long, especially in the junior mining sector. I can't be the geologist, the mining engineer, the geopolitical expert ever, right? But I talk to people no. for a living and I think I'm pretty good at vetting individuals and anybody can be. That's the great part. You can look at somebody's track record and see, do they perform? Do they do what they say they're going to do, right? The reason that's so important is because if you're like me, I think the rest of the 2020s will probably be how the beginning of the 2020s have been, which is unpredictable and maybe a bit chaotic, right? If that's the case, right? I want to back management teams who have weathered storms, right? Who I can trust their judgment, who aren't going to have issues raising capital, right? And all those things only occur if you have the resume to back it up, right? And uh, yourself, Ian Telfer, Neil Woodier, you, you've been there, done it, right? And you mentioned Wheaton River, you mentioned Endeavor, right? Um, Equinox Gold, very familiar to my audience. Um, Equinox is a key sponsor of my event next week in Vancouver. Oh, great. Um, very well-run company. And so 
So that's why we bet the jockey, because we don't know what the problem's going to be. So we want to bet on the individuals who have solved problems in the past and have an amazing track yeah. record of doing so. And, you know, Jay, it's interesting because, it, 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 you know, I made it sound easy. You know, I, I said, you know, this is how you do it. You start here and then you end up here. It's anything but easy. It's one of the most difficult things to do. And you really need to have very experienced people that have done it have seen everything seen it all before whether it's the MA side or the operation side or the debt side uh, and and know how to get things done because it's not easy it's really really hard and there are there are days where there are a lot of heartaches but we give it three to five years as w- with all our projects uh with all every company we've started in three to five years we we, we know we can achieve our goal and unless something dramatically goes wrong um you know we'll get there it's just and but it's a lot of hard work and then it it takes a lot of experience and uh and again you got to back the jockeys <laughs> and that's what i'm doing this i'm i'm not running it i i just help out i give strategic advice and make introductions um and they've got a great board i mean it's ian telfer and uh and peter maroney and uh david garofalo and uh daniel camboni and uh serfino yakono so it's a good board with great experience especially in colombia and uh, yeah it's i think i think uh I, I'm, I'm quite comfortable backing them and we'll we'll get there in due course and the list of names you just mentioned you know it says something really important um optionality in terms of access to cash flow, right? Like biggest problem that, that mining companies run into, especially right now, right? Like there's a cash call on everything, right? If it's not bolted down to the floor, people are selling it right now. And so in an environment like this, if a company needs capital, what kind of options do they have? Do they have a diverse set of options, right? Yeah. And you well, want to get- Yeah, so on that, on that note, so I'm the equity expert. Uh, Ian Telfer and I are the equity experts and Neil is the debt expert. Um, I'll tell you a really funny story. When we created Endeavor back in 2009, we launched it. I raised $100 million of equity as a blind pool. We needed a lot more than that. And uh, but it was difficult to raise equity. You know, the markets were going sideways. Neil built that company, Endeavor, up to about four or five, four mines with just that hundred million and knowing how to use the debt markets. He is mm-hmm. exceptionally talented at debt structures. So, you know, we built that company mostly on debt. And then we eventually, when the share price had its run, we raised an addition, some additional equity to reduce the debt. But that's, you need to have that expertise because you, you don't know what markets are going to do. I mean, window, the, the opportunity window in equity markets for this sector sometimes can be very short. And so you have to hit those windows. And if you can't hit them, you have to think of other ways to get the job done. I love it. Yeah. Okay. Look, Frank, I told you I'd keep it for 20. It's probably been about 30. So thank you. Thanks for making the time. Okay. Well, thanks for having me on, Jay. Really, it's always a pleasure. Pleasure's all mine. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor. Follow or subscribe to this podcast. Drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.